A reading from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The word of God for the people of God. Kristen, thank you. Paul, Paul, thank you so much for that song. That was wonderful. I really appreciate that. So, uh, 28% chance. Are you reading my mind? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. So Hunter was telling me on the way in that uh, we've got a 28% chance. I guess maybe you heard that on, I was looking on the internet. I got up this morning and normally I pray for this service, but instead I looked on the internet to see what the odds were that Alabama would be going to the, um, to the playoffs. So apparently, and Eric, I know Eric is an Ohio State fan, so You've got, apparently you've got a what, 72% if I've got my math right. So that's worldly hope. Worldly hope is you have a strong desire for something, but you certainly don't know how it's going to turn out. We'll know at 12 noon how this is going to turn out. Do you know what biblical hope is? Biblical hope is something in the future that's absolutely certain, but only a matter of time. It's absolutely certain that it will come, but it's only a matter of time. Now, a lot of us have worldly hope for a lot of things, but biblical hope is the best kind of hope because really it is a matter of waiting. And I always want to remind you of something. If you're waiting on the Lord, I can assure you he's working. He's never in neutral. If he's got you waiting... He's working something in your life. And I believe that as we look at this passage this morning, it is a wonderful testament to biblical hope. And I also believe that we as the people of God, 
can above all people be optimists filled with hope. And as we move through the Advent, Advent season, we'll see others. For example, joy. We above all people. And so we start this Advent season with this idea of hope. So let me jump in here with Isaiah. First, what you have here is the Lord really commissioning three what end up being anonymous voices to give a word to Isaiah about some real hope that God wants to give his people. And if you'll see, in a word, it's all about comfort. And notice it's repeated. It says it's repeated over and over. And it says here, says the Lord. And the word says there is actually in the imperfect. Here in verse 1, it's actually in the imperfect in the sense that God is saying it over and over and over that we're to be comforted. And the reason God wants to offer us comfort in this time of waiting is he wants us to have hope. And when he talks about comfort for the people of God in very difficult times, he's especially speaking to people who have had very difficult things happen to them over the last year. It's been an incredibly intense year for many people. There's been substantial loss as you've lost loved ones. There have been people who've been found out to have cancer. Perhaps there's a loss of a, 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 a baby. And then we look beyond just this congregation and we see our city and our country and our world and you can see that there's so much, there's so much, there's so many lives that are shattered because of the difficulties of the world and yet God wants to comfort us and bring us hope. This idea of shattered I think is illustrated so well in Les Mis when Fontaine sings that song, I dreamed a dream. And if you've ever heard that song, you know it's a wonderful song as it starts out. But at the very end, here are the last words, and she sings this, I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. She's lost hope. But God says that we do not have to lose it. We above all people can be people of hope. And so look at verse 2. God would speak these words to us as it says, speak tenderly. And that literally means that God will speak to your heart and mine because that's where we need this comfort of hope. We need it in the core of our being. And so God is committed to doing that. And he goes on to say here that Israel's hard service is completed. That literally means a period of duress. And it goes further than that because it is a period of duress, but it's duress that has purpose. And what the Lord would mean you and I to know from this is that when God calls us to wait and when there are difficult times, God does not want us to lose hope because God will not waste anything that he allows in your life. He'll not waste any of the circumstances that you face. And he'll use them all in some fantastic way that many times this side of eternity, I couldn't possibly explain. He'll use them in some fantastic way to glorify himself and bless you. And that's a real hope. Now, in this particular passage, the hard service completed is really pointing to the Babylonian captivity. If you go on and read in Isaiah, you'll see that in chapter 43. And you'll see that the, 
people's sin has been paid for by a suffering servant. And you'll see that in chapter 52. And this suffering servant has provided double for all of Israel's sins. And all that means is simply this, that there's always more grace that God will provide for us than any circumstance we find ourselves in, any way we've sinned. Think of it like this. God has so much grace that he can reach you no matter how far you've gone. God has so much grace that he can transform any of the most difficult circumstances that you find yourself in. And that's why God says he's a God of hope. He offers us hope continually. Now, Christmas. As we move into Christmas, and Advent is meant to encourage us to look forward to that which we celebrate, which is the first coming of Christ, but also to look forward to that which has not happened yet, which is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord wants to take this season in the life of your heart and the life of this church to really encourage us. Again, we can be people of hope because this world is not all there is. Men and women, think about it. So much of the world believes that this is as good as it gets. Let your mind wander there this afternoon and see how restful a day it will be for you. To think that this is as good as it will ever get. And yet the Lord says, no, that's absolutely not true. The things that you long for in your heart indicate that there is another and a better day. And so that we as the people of God can have hope. Now let's jump in. Look with me first at verses 3 through 5. Because what you see clearly here is God comes to our aid. Verse 3, it says, a voice of one calling. Now this voice, God is raised up to speak to Isaiah to communicate to us. It literally means to listen. Someone is calling out. They have something important to say that's potentially life-changing. And men and women, I want to say this very clearly in our day. God has something important to say. It's truth. It's the truth about who you are, who he is, what he's doing, and where things are going. And if you think about our day, think about Washington in our day. When is the last time you've heard a truth coming out of Washington? We've coined a new phrase called fake news. And somehow, we use this phrase to justify lying. And what people need is truth because, as the Bible says, truth sets people free. And so when God raises up this voice, He's speaking truth. And notice what the voice says, verse 3. Prepare the way. Make a straight way, a highway. And all this is is a picture of our God coming for his people because they've been forgiven and coming to take them home. And is there not a longing for home? I was walking the mall this morning, listening over and over and over again and over and over and over again about how wonderful home is for the holidays. Now, may I tell you, 
My wife asked me how I was doing the other day, and I said, I'm absolutely exhausted. And the reason I'm exhausted, because home is not always that great for so many of us. And the reason it's not always that great, because this is not your home. As the people of God, this is not our home. And so we see in verse 4, that every valley will be raised up, now it's level. Every mountain and hill will be made low, now it's level too. Rough ground, rugged places, they're smoothed out. In other words, at the coming of our God, things will be straight, level, and smooth. God is coming without fail, and he will not be hindered. That's the hope of Christmas. He's coming without fail. Now, back in Isaiah's day, this was the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our day, we look back at Christmas morning celebrating his first coming. But even as we look back celebrating his first coming, we keep an eye to the future knowing that he's going to come again because this is hope past, but this is hope future. So we see that God will not be hindered. And look at verse 5. It says, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And that simply means that God's presence and specifically acting on our behalf, his presence and his specific actions on our behalf will be revealed to all humanity. And men and women, what do we have with Christmas? We have the revelation that God has come and taken on flesh, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. God has revealed his glory. And just as God has revealed his glory in the coming of the Christ child, so that God will reveal his glory again, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, when Jesus comes again that second time, to make everything wrong right, and to see our hope fulfilled. And men and women, as I said before, biblical hope is just a matter of time. And why? Why will it be certain? Because God will not be hindered. Nothing hindered God in coming for his people. Let me illustrate that for you. You are very well aware of the sinking of the Titanic, who's aware in this room of the rescue ship that rescued the survivors? What's the name of the ship? Exactly, the Carpathian. Do you know, it's absolutely vital that you remember that ship because I can tell you this, the 705 survivors of the Titanic don't care a bit about the Titanic. What they love is the Carpathian. That's, that's the museum they're going to. You can imagine. I didn't know this about the Carpathian. You know what it did? It got the SOS signal. And so ca the captain meant to get to the Titanic as quickly as possible because it was 28-degree water, and he knew that people would not survive in that water. And so what he did is he issued a string of orders on that ship to get it ready to take people on. The Carpathian's top speed was 14.5 knots. But do you know the captain did this? He fired up the engines by dumping more and more coal into those in engines and accelerated that ship speed to 17 knots. In fact, he cut the heaters off of the ship. He cut them off so that he could have more coal to fire up the engines to get to the Titanic. Now, 
Just as the Titanic was sunk by an iceberg, so the Carpathian had to dodge icebergs. And in fact, the captain talked later about the fact that he constantly had to shift the wheel this way and that to survive those and not be struck by, the same, uh, uh, by an iceberg just like the Titanic was. He also had the lifeboats lowered in preparation for getting survivors out of the water. He had three doctors under his command to administer medical care. He had all the officers clear out of their cabins, all the public spaces prepared for survivors of the Titanic. All of these efforts, as they had taken people out of the water, were immediately acknowledged by those who were rescued. In fact, before the Carpathian got back to New York, the Titanic survivors had organized a committee and taken up funds to give to the crew of the Carpathian. Because that ship would not be hindered to rescue people that had gone down with the Titanic. And men and women, I want to tell you something. God will not be hindered. He was not hindered the first time when he took on flesh. When he had to go to the cross, when he was raised again from the dead, God was not hindered to save his people. Every valley was raised up. Every mountain was, was lowered so that God would come without obstacle to save his people. And men and women, God will not be hindered in coming again. And that's why we can have biblical hope. In fact, Jesus said, and he says to us now as we look to the future, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, will I not come back? for you to be with me where you also can be where I am. There's the promise, the promise of hope. And notice in verse 5, he goes on to say, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. In other words, when God makes a promise, he's committed to that promise, and that's the basis of our hope. And as I said before, when God makes a promise, it's just a matter of time. That's all it is. And so we as Christians should be the most hopeful, the most optimistic. We should, as Christians, and we'll see as the coming weeks unfold, we'll see that we as believers, as we embrace this hope of the Lord Jesus returning again, will ultimately lead to joy, and then we'll sing together, joy to the world. Not only has the Lord come, but joy to the world. The Lord is coming again. And that's the kind of hope we need. You need that hope when you lose your job. You need that hope when you lose a child or you lose a husband or you lose a wife. You need that hope. You need to know that life is not just a memory, that there's something ahead. Now look at verses 6 through 8. I want to tell you something boldly here, and this reveals that people who are self-sufficient can't hear about this hope. People who are self-sufficient can't hear about this hope. Look at verse 6 and 7. You've got this second voice. And listen to what the voice says. All men are like grass. The grass withers. Our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the flowers fall. You know what that simply means? We as humanity, men and women, and I don't care where you are spiritually, this is true for us all. We're transient and we're frail. But at the same time, we're precious to God. That's what's so amazing. We're inherently dependent creatures. We're not independent. And when we seek our own independence, we only do it to our self-destruction. 
Listen to what the psalmist said. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Even those who seem secure, men and women, no matter how hard you try to hold on to this life, it will slip through your fingers. No matter how hard you try to hold on, there's always going to be another birthday until you face your death day. Because we're frail. How do we live in light of our frailty? Well, listen. A proper understanding of your frailty is not to devalue you, only to dethrone you. Not to devalue you, only to dethrone you. We are not God. But self-sufficient people can't hear the hope that God offers. Look at verse 7. Because of the breath of the Lord blows on them, there's an element of just judgment in that. In other words, we're frail, so we face death. We see in Genesis chapter 3, if you're familiar with the Bible, that the first two human beings turned away from the living God. And they tried to be like God, but were quickly showed they weren't. And do you know what our frailty shows us? Our frailty shows us that we aren't God, but that we need God. That's what our frailty shows us. Look at verse 8. It says, but the word of our God stands forever. In in, In stark contrast, men and women, to our transience, to our frailty to the certainty of death. God's word stands forever. In other words, God was, God is, God is, God will always be. God is the great I am. God is faithful through the valley, every valley you walk through, and every life road in this room is going to walk through some sort of valley. In fact, in the valleys, it's part of our journeys. God tends to strip away our self-sufficiency and at the same time offers the comfort of a shepherd. He does that. The valley is a difficult place. And I speak to any of you in this room this morning who are walking through a valley. As I said before, Christmas tends to bring out wonderful light but also wonderful darkness. It feels like at Christmas when Andy Williams is singing, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Maybe you want to lean over the rail at the mall and just throw up. Now, just because it's been played a thousand times before, but for some people, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. I actually like that song. It's not the most wonderful time of the year. Not for that reason. It is a wonderful time of the year because we're celebrating God has come and he removed the obstacles by taking on flesh in the person of Jesus. And he comes to offer us the comfort of a shepherd. And so that means, men and women, as we sang just a few minutes ago, we can shout this. Look at verses 9 through 11. This is the shouting of hope. And I pray as the people of God, as we walk through this Advent season together, men and women, let's shout to Nashville this hope. And shout it, live it. And shout it fiercely and live it fiercely. Look at verse 9. It says, go up on a high mountain, say to the towns of Judah. In other words, get this message of hope out. Men and women, our, our our hope is not in tax cuts. It's not in the Dow at 24,000. It's not in universal health care. It's not ever going to be in politics. Sure, we can bless and we want to honor our civil government. 
but our hope was in God. As we experience our hope in God, men and women, we see the comfort that God offers us because he's come. We can be a people who shout it, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Men and women, the ends of the earth need the hope of Jesus Christ. They need the hope of Christ. It's a universal hope because it deals with our basic problem. Because I want you to see, God is the one who raised up the valleys. God is the one who lowered the mountains. God is the one who came unhindered to us in order to reconcile us to him. Look at verse 9. It says, don't be afraid. In other words, shout this fearlessly. Why? Why? Because Jesus Christ sets people free. God really does love sinners. Jesus really does bind up the brokenhearted. God really does lift up people's heads. One day, God really will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Yes, God will return and ultimately take those who are his home. God really will destroy evil. Jesus Christ is the answer to every human problem at its core. And that's the hope that we have. Look at verses 10 and 11. The sovereign Lord comes with power. Power to do what God has promised to do. I love this. He says, his arm rules for him. Men and women, do you know what that literally means? It literally means this, what I'm doing here. It means that God rolls up his sleeves like this. You know, especially summer, when I'm not wearing a golf shirt and preaching, I start rolling up my sleeves like this. And you know what that means, baby. They've read scripture and here we go. I'm jumping off the cliff. Because God's getting down to business. Now, let me tell you something. When God said that his arm rules for him, it means he rolled up his sleeve and he did what it took in order to save a people for himself. You guys, forgive me. I went on the web this morning and looked up the World Wrestling Federation website. You need to do that. It's hysterical. And I just wanted to look at all the different, I know I'm going somewhere with this, stay with me. I just wanted to wake you up, okay? I did it because it reminded me of Jesus. And let me tell you why. When God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, it's as if Jesus got into the ring. And you know those WWF fighters, they grab people and they pick them up and they throw them down. And it's all an act, I understand. Although they do get injured some, they make a fortune doing it. But I imagine Jesus in the ring and Jesus takes death, picks death up and throws death down. Death comes back at Jesus. And you know what? At the very end of Jesus' life, death pinned Jesus. But just as the count was count nine, before there was count 10, Jesus rose again from the dead and he put death out. Pinned him. Jesus rolled up his sleeves and did what was necessary by dying on the cross to clear the obstacle of our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. That's the hope that we celebrate God has done that. Now we wait for him to come again. And men and women, I'll close with this. If you really believe that, we're called to live with abandon. 
And this is what the world needs. A few years ago, my son and I went to hike the Grand Teton, and we got up on the saddle at 11,000 feet, and we were camping there, and they had a stare at the mountain, and the mountain was one huge rock. And all I could think about was, when is the helicopter going to land and pick me up and put me on top of that rock? Because there's sure as heck no way I'm going to get up there on my own. There was a 30-minute walk of shame up to the face. And the walk of shame was you could walk 30 minutes up, and that was the time you had to decide if you're going to climb up that mountain. Because once you got past that 30 minutes, a God had to take you back down. And if one God had to go with one person down, everybody else had to go because one other God couldn't take everybody else up. And i got to tell you something. That was the decision time to decide whether you're going to be abandoned to this foolishness or not. I want to tell you something. Read Isaiah 40. See the hope that we will be celebrating for the next four weeks. Abandon yourself all over again to that hope. And then I would ask you, who is the fool? The one that has a future and is just waiting? Or the one that doesn't know? Let's pray.